and welcome to Persevering Grief as Told by Young People. We're a group from around the globe who've lost loved ones at a young age. Our stories are different, but we've come together in hopes that we can share these experiences and improve things for others. This podcast is created by young people for young people, but we welcome all types of listeners. We're going to be discussing everything grief and bereavement, particularly what it's like to be bereaved as a child or teenager. It's time to end the silent struggle of grief and start talking. With a series of different topics, we'll be joined by some exciting guests. So whether you're here to find support for yourself, to help a grieving friend, or just want to hear different stories, welcome. So today's specific episode will be focusing on the theme of grief and medicine. We hope you enjoy it and please be aware that this episode will contain discussions of death, medical procedures and healthcare. So I'm Katie and I'm a third year medical student um, studying at the University of Southampton. And I'm Izzy. I'm a first year medic studying at Keele University. So if you're listening to this and a medical student, there's a high chance you love a good start because don't we all, don't we all? As we were preparing for this episode, I thought it'd be interesting to sort of try and look at any correlation between a young adult slash child experiencing bereavement and how that affects whether they want to become a doctor or not, or whether that's a nurse, whatever like healthcare profession that might be. And this paper was actually based on a questionnaire that was started by the University of Cambridge in 2007. Uh, it ran for a few years and it was focusing on anxiety and depression and previous bereavement before joining the course, all that kind of stuff. Um, and the results suggest that 28.5% of medical students experience a loss before starting medical school. And that is matched by a figure from Scotland where it's 26% of all medical students that have experienced a loss before they start their education at med school. And I just think it's really pertinent as, again, another stat, a, a foundation year one doctor on average will experience 40 patient deaths in their first year alone. Now, if you think about how many sort of working weeks there are in a year, that's just under one a week. So it does play a massive part. And actually the uptake in students that actually answered the questionnaire was so much higher in the students that were in their clinical years so I do think there's definitely a correlation between being on the wards and potential grief triggers and it definitely is an environment that sort of exacerbates any loss or bereavement that you've had before. I do wonder if that's why the uptake of students performing and like completing the survey did increase with the clinical years because it's having a bit more of an impact on their day-to-day but I just thought that was really interesting to sort of remind us why we're talking about the, these topics in conjunction with each other. I will link the paper itself in the description below but it's it's definitely worth a read for sure for sure yeah definitely and I think it's somewhere which is always going to be impacting people particularly after covid obviously a lot more people probably will fall into that category of um having a significant bereavement um but how does that actually affect med school and how we feel about it how we go about it and how our experience maybe is a bit different to people who haven't lost someone who um is really close to them so in terms of a bit of an introduction to us So yeah, like I said, my name's Katie and I'm a third year medical student. So I lost my mum when I was 16 to pneumonia. Um, She had multiple sclerosis for many years as I was growing up and I was a young carer for her as well. So this had a massive impact on my um, interaction with medicine. I saw lots of healthcare professionals when I was growing up. 
in conjunction with my mum and actually that had a really big impact on my decision to study medicine um, and then as well as that sort of when I was 17 a year and a bit later um, from my mum's death my dad died of a heart attack in my living room and actually that had a really significant impact on me obviously but also on my medicine application because I was like oh do I still want to do medicine who knows and also that was at that time when I was just about to start writing my personal statement and applying to uni I just sat my UCAT which is the exam you have to sit in for most unis um, to apply to medicine so it was a really uncertain period um, where I was kind of trying to do my application but also with all of this fresh grief so yeah both my losses definitely had a big impact on my applying to medical school but also actually being at med school so I've been here for three years now and I've really enjoyed it but it's definitely been you know come with some challenges what about you Izzy? I'm Izzy I also experienced a couple of losses before coming to medical school and we were talking about this as we were preparing for the episode actually I do feel like maybe because we both experienced our losses before med school potentially that means that we're coming at it from a different perspective to someone that lost a loved one during their time in med school but my first loss was my fifth day of year nine um a close family member it feels it feels very strange to be so candid about it all but um a close family member of mine was walking the dog and unfortunately a van came off the road and knocked into a lamppost which then knocked onto her and unfortunately killed her at the scene and so a very sort of from I guess from a medical point of view like a very acute trauma not something that anyone was prepared for and for a young woman it was it was very acute and unexpected and then about nine ten months after that another family member um, we noticed the signs of illness and it's that horrible moment where you maybe this comes from having an interest in the medical sciences but you look at someone and you do suspect like oh okay quite drastic weight loss and you start seeing the signs of a potential cancer and unfortunately it was a very quick sort of downhill spiral for this family member um and unfortunately then they died from metastatic cancer which spread all throughout the body so it was it was very interesting I think from a medical point of view that it's been a very acute traumatic situation but also a chronic sort of easier not not easier to prepare for but something that you could prepare for like the contrast has been quite interesting as well yeah definitely and I think it's weird how I over the years I've definitely got like a spiel that I can sort of reel out and it's like even though it sounds candid talking about it there's been many times obviously before where it's like you definitely get more emotional and sometimes it's just here you go that you've asked why they died here's your answer but I guess in terms of applying to medical school if we start back at the beginning I think the whole thing is not only will I still be able to actually do the degree and the job based on all these like bereavements I've had and you know this real like trauma at the start of my life and also how do I even get in and sort of get through that process maybe without those people to support me or without that less illness around and kind of all those emotions so I guess for me when my mum was in hospital with pneumonia I remember being in the like family room and my grandma kind of being to me like oh Katie do you think you're still going to do medicine and at that point I was like grandma my mum's dying like you know I'm not really thinking about the next like five ten years of my life like whether I'm going to be doing medicine or not Mm. but it was also like I still was thinking about it sort of a little bit I was like oh gosh like how is this going to affect me and I think at that point 
it's so weird to then be like this thing I've really set myself on I really thought that I really wanted to do and then suddenly it's like is this going to be something I can actually handle doing because obviously there's lots of different emotions that go along doing medicine and anyone who hasn't experienced a difficult bereavement is still going to find bits of it difficult but actually when some of those things relate to your own personal life and people really close to you that can add another layer of actually is this something I can do and I think that's perfectly normal to question but it's also you don't need to write yourself off completely because people can do it and there's lots of people in med school who have experienced bereavement or have medical issues themselves but they are still able to do the degree yeah definitely I feel like for me I've come at it from a very different approach in that like for for you from what you've been saying Katie it's like will I still be able to do medicine Mm. like despite this grief that I'm feeling but for me I actually think that it was probably the grief and the loss that actually triggered my interest in medicine yeah it wasn't my plan that wasn't my like childhood Mm. dream job which I think is quite strange for medics from what I've understood (laughs) like but for most people it seems to be they've always wanted to be a doctor and I'm here like yeah well I decided like in a hospice at age 15 trying to do my GCSE revision that I may as well put all this trauma to good use (laughs) um but I just think for me, the, the the plan was, and to be fair, it's not that different to human medicine. I'd always, always, always wanted to be a vet. I'd worked on a farm since I was little. Like it was always the goal was to be a vet. And then all of a sudden this situation came along and I was a bit more like, do you know what, actually, let's turn something that has mm. been fairly dramatic, fairly traumatic, and let's use it for something that I feel I've got a good, a better understanding of than most just because of like the exposure that I'd had to it, like to medicine. And I don't know, I think as well for me at the time, my, my views have definitely changed now, but my sort of experience with my family member that had cancer, we spent a lot of time in palliative care ward which obviously are not the most cheery places (laughs) not necessarily (laughs) no but equally these doctors were taking the time out their day to explain endoscope findings and show me x-rays and everything and explain it all and they were so keen that there was a chance I might want to do medicine and like despite the job that I had previously perceived as like how could anyone love their job if they're just helping people die less painfully and that was my perception of that specialty at the time but if someone in that job is still encouraging me to pursue medicine or to consider pursuing medicine then surely there must be more to this whole medicine malarkey (laughs) Um, surely there's more to this vacation so it just felt like a suitable application of my loss and also as well without getting too existential when you experience and I'm sure you're the same when you experience like sudden loss it reframes the way like the way you view your life and like I think for me, I was really keen to pursue something that I perceive as really meaningful. And and I definitely think that that is a beauty and a joy that you can take from being in the medical profession that like what you are doing is meaningful, which is always a lovely feeling. Definitely. And I think it's that bit about obviously you can't cure everyone as we both know, um, but you can have a positive impact on their lives. And I think obviously with their current pressures at the moment, that is sometimes more difficult, but there's definitely space for a positive difference 
to be made um, as a result of your practice as a doctor mm. and I guess as well even just hashing out that reason of why you want to do medicine that's what they always say when you're writing a personal statement you know why do you want to do medicine have that question nailed out tell your mirror every day so you can read it off in an interview and actually for me when I was trying to write my personal statement after my dad had just died I was like why do I want to do medicine you know mm. and I had lots of exposure to different healthcare professionals, district nurses, OTs, physios, all that kind of thing with my mum. And I'd kind of really like valued and enjoyed seeing them and sort of what difference they could make to my mum. And actually that kind of kickstarted it. And then also like even just interactions with the doctors. And I was like, oh, I'm really interested in this. I really like science. And I, you know, I love chatting to people. I've, you know, this is all lining up. This is great. This is, I really like the problem solving aspect of medicine, which I think sometimes is undervalued. Actually, like that is such Mm. a key part of being a doctor is problem solving. Why is this person like this? How can we make them better? Definitely, definitely. And I think that is like really interesting. Yeah, for sure. I think, I think as well, like what you were going back to about how like, oh my life, year 13, if you have any sort of like, medicine entry program in your sixth formal college or school or whatever you'll you'll notice that classic reiteration of be able to like reel out your reason like your motivation to do medicine should be like you should know it like the palm, palm of your hand like have a proper good understanding of it and I think for me actually having that oh it's tricky because you don't want to validate your loss and say without my loss I wouldn't have got where I yeah. am today because equally I would rather have not experienced loss. However, Keel, for example, recruit via roles and responsibilities form. So that a question and it could be like, give an example of a time where you've cared for someone. And when you've got like a relative dying from cancer, obviously the examples of a time where you cared for someone are tenfold. So yeah, it's that toss up of like, okay, well, actually my bereavement has enhanced my application to a degree mm. that is tricky to get into, but equally like... I wouldn't trade my loss for medical school. I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's it's a tricky toss-up, isn't it? I guess that's what I'm getting at. It's also like you can't change the past and you can't change what's happened, but actually what you do with it is something you have control over yes, yes. to a degree. Yeah, for sure. And I think as well, like even just on a general point, like going to interviews and like writing your personal statement, getting excited about the prospect of doing medicine mm. and then like not having those family members there. For me, kind of not having my parents to go to my interviews with was just a massive thing in the sense I kind of went with like family friends or like got the train by myself. And it was a very weird experience. Like everyone else is sort of there with their mums. And I was just like, yo, hi, just me. And it's so weird to then, you know, and I had lovely people that went with me and it was really great in that sense. But it was Mm. also just so crazy that for everything else, other people were just having such a normal experience that was you know still stressful but they're not doing it by themselves and I think just not being able to share those moments of like oh my gosh I've got in is just heartbreaking because you know that they'd be really happy for you and everyone around you tells you that but it's not the same as hearing it from them I think yeah it's that classic line of like oh well this person would be so proud of you and it's like oh my gosh that that Mm. would always get me it would always be like oh gosh no I'm like you didn't know them you don't know what they like how they think or I'm sure they would be proud of me but like I don't want to hear it from you (laughs) I want to hear it from them (laughs) but they're not here do you know what I mean like I know it's a dichotomy you can't win but yeah and I think even as well like so in my personal statement I put about caring for my mum and I didn't 
talk about my mum's death and my dad's death in my personal statement because it wasn't particularly relevant to why I wanted to study medicine or kind of my experience particularly because I hadn't fully figured out how to frame it in my head Mm. and just kind of I hadn't reconciled a lot of it with what was going on which for like what a few weeks post grieving particularly Mm. for my dad is understandable but obviously when it came to my interviews um I put about my um mum and obviously it was a panel interview and they go oh you know like talk to me about caring for your mum or what was that like or blah or I don't know I can't even remember they asked me a question about my mum and I kind of ended up having to be like oh my mum's dead and um Mm. it was so weird because I was like how much do I go into do I then say oh but my dad's dead too lol like do I do I add (laughs) that um and I think it's really weird because obviously in an interview you don't want to get emotional you don't want to be triggered by your grief you don't want to you know I I was like Mm. I don't want to break down crying in my interview just because someone's asked me if my mum's alive like that's not that's not the impression I want to leave them with but in the same vein do I be honest or do I just sort of gloss over it but then is that sort of representing my story properly? It's so difficult, I think, sometimes to articulate how much you want to get across, obviously, when they're asking you the questions. Yeah, and I think I think that also, like what you're saying, comes back to how medicine is still so highly regarded as, like, one of the most professional vocations in that to break down in a medical interview in many med schools would probably see you like shoot out the door and and I think it is tricky like how do you honor the fact that your bereavement is the reason why you've applied to med school but also like not trauma dump on the interviewers yeah um yeah yeah, it's a tricky one there's an argument there that's like if if it's going to make you emotional just to talk about it or to say it then you know, maybe you're not ready for med school. And I, I appreciate that. Like, I think, you know, as we'll go on to talk about, there are lots of times when it can be really difficult or when your experience becomes particularly pertinent and actually that's a really difficult thing. Um, but there are also times when actually you have that experience to relate to someone who's grieving or mm. kind of understand how someone might feel in that situation. So I think there are both sides, but also, you know, you want to safeguard yourself and give yourself the best chance of getting in if that's what you're aiming for and actually kind of thinking about how your grief and affects that and you is is really weird but yeah going on to then kind of get into med school whoop whoop year 13 results day you're in and then lectures whoa lectures (laughs) um so I guess like obviously some lectures can be really triggering and I definitely had this in first year I think particularly the difficult thing for me is the fact that they kind of portray things that are really personal to you, really emotional, like in a very didactic manner. Like they have no emotion behind what they're saying. You know, Mm. Mr. X had a cardiac arrest at home, aged 50. He had this. And I'm like, oh, okay. Mr. X is starting to look like a bit too much like Katie's dad here. Um, And I think the fact that most people can say any of that without any sort of emotional response, but then you're sort of there like, ah, my gosh. Mm. Yeah, that's Mm. that's hard to deal with. What have your experiences been? For me, I think it's always the sort of unexpected triggers that like hit you Mm. the most, I think. And even just a little thing like that, like no one has specifically like, said anything like to you this person has just said something to a room filled with like students and yet 
that in itself is just like a little reminder mm. for me uh, well I would say this has taken a bit of work but if if there is a topic that is particularly triggering you kind of know well, I've had to employ a level of dissociation yeah whether that's healthy or not we'll, we'll find out um, <laughs> sitting in the lecture theater and being really really objective about it and also for me something that helped with that is considering it from a very biomedical like standpoint and knowing that when I'm patient facing of course I will consider the patient themselves but actually in the early years while I'm learning about the pathologies that trigger my grief actually to be able to just view it as a pathology and not as a person in a context if that helps you like then I will choose that that route I think because I was doing my lectures in COVID so I was doing them from home because it was online so I think in a way I could kind of have a bit more of those like emotional moments if I needed to because Mm. actually no one was there looking at me um but yeah I guess for me I kind of had one lecture where I kind of forgot that my dad had a post-mortem which sounds really dumb when I say it out loud but genuinely like it just had not like crossed my mind as I was going to this pathology tutorial on post-mortems that actually this was something my dad had and I didn't really know a lot about them when he had it and I didn't really get told a lot about what happened or you know what the result was anyway and this let the seminar leader starts off by saying something like really quite graphic about the post-mortem and I was just utterly floored I was like Mm. oh gosh I so I basically ended up just sitting on the floor of my room and like having the lecture wrong so I was like what a show I'm participating um and then sort of going and chatting to my housemates about it afterwards because I was just like oh it's just gonna be completely caught off guard and this has really thrown me the fact that just thinking about my dad having this and you know thinking about sort of what she said and I think that was like a lot I was like oh wow okay but I guess anyway it's like some of those things like you kind of expect it would happen but it's also like maybe frustrating I think sometimes that other people just this is just something new they're learning and for you this is something really hard to kind of understand a bit more about what's gone on with it Mm. um I think like talking to people who are on your course who have already been in the lecture I found quite helpful because you can kind of they can kind of understand already what was said and why it might be triggering for you there's not a need to kind of justify why it's a lot actually because they've been there they kind of think oh yeah well I can see that if Katie's dad had this then that would be really upsetting to hear or something like that um so I found that really helpful but it's also like I think the more I prepared for it if I looked at the powerpoint before I saw kind of what was going to be said I found it a lot easier to sort of figure out what I could take in more and really engage with mm. and what I could kind of sit back and okay I'm not going to answer any questions on this I'm just going to make a few notes and or I'm just going to come back to this later and I'll just sort of sit and listen because actually you're not going to learn anything if you're really emotional and feeling really griefy you, you know it's not going in your head yeah and I think as well <laughs> how to put it nicely every medic you'll come across will have a certain requirement for academic validation I think the tendency to allow yourself to have a lecture where actually if all you do is stay in that lecture and sit there for the whole duration of the lecture like that's a win that that is something to Mm. celebrate that's something that you should be proud of and I think it is quite easy to forget that because obviously like you're kind of conditioned to be competitive and to always want to be learning more and like lifelong learning and all that like (laughs) it is quite 
you know drilled into you so I do think there is a degree of kindness that needs to like to yourself mm. that like needs to be remembered and also as well like you say preparedness I I hadn't considered at all before starting med school any of the triggers that I would come across from a bereavement point of view um because I'll be honest I think I thought I was further along my grieving journey than I actually was um and maybe it took med school starting med school to realize that but again it comes back to that thing of just being a bit nicer to yourself about it all yeah definitely and also like if there's stuff that you can't bring yourself to learn like obviously learn enough to pass the exam but like you can revisit it in a few years when you're more able to process things better so from obviously lectures but there's also anatomy is like a big thing in the early years of med school particularly and so I did prosection um which is where the specimens are already prepared for you so you might only see sort of like a brain or like a rib cage or a lungs a set of lungs or like we had like we'd go around and there'd be lots of different tables lots of different specimens out like you just have like 10 hearts on the table that I definitely found very useful but also potentially easier to deal with than cadaveric dissection which I know that you did Izzy yeah I think if someone before I came to kill had sort of sat me down and told me that it would be worth emotionally preparing for a a dead body to be put in front of you I think that could have been quite helpful um because my first choice unis were not cadaveric dissection I did end up sort of trying to avoid universities that did cadaveric dissection just because I I just didn't think I would get much out of it um however I ended up at Keel and obviously love it here but it is it is a tricky situation if you have experienced quite an acute yeah. traumatic loss. So I distinctly remember walking into the DR, the dissection room, and seeing all the like cadavers lined up and just being like, what on earth is this degree like? There are other people in my university that haven't got out of bed yet. Yeah. And we are on our fourth ever day of university and we've been presented with a dead body and it is really tricky particularly if you have if it's not your first dead body it's tricky because it can act as an emotional trigger yeah but equally if you've never seen a dead body before that comes with its own challenges as well Mm. um I think the way I have got through that just it, it took a lot of work and a lot of like retraining the way I was thinking about Uh, anatomy um I noticed as well that I was getting more out of pro section so although we do like we have cadaveric specimens the the pro sections were around the room and I found that actually if it all got too much and I was suddenly very acutely aware of the fact that this was like a dead person that I could go and look at a pro section to like just take myself away from the situation for a bit get a few mm. deep breaths and then return back to the cadaver yeah but again I, I do think it comes back like to what I was saying about reframing the way you look at it and actually that has I would say that took a whole semester to start viewing it as a really valuable useful privilege and actually I think for me so also as well like obviously experience two losses um, from like a personal degree but I also worked as a healthcare assistant and I lost a patient when it was just me in the room 
um, during my job as a healthcare assistant, which um, was also a very harrowing experience. So it was, I think, a very cumulative effect of like processing Mm. it all. And actually all my previous experiences of dead bodies had been really negative and really harrowing. But actually Kiel were presenting me with an opportunity to use a cadaver that someone has been so kind to donate and use it in a positive way and actually the way the second I started thinking of it like that of okay this is like this is a positive experience I'm Mm. really lucky to be in this position I I would honestly say that like the second that I started thinking like that like things did start to improve and even from a learning point of view I was engaging more. I was getting more out of it. I wasn't just finding myself yeah. able to learn from prosection. I was finding that actually dissection was. I was even like considering potential surgical specialties. Like it, if it has massively yeah. helped just to sort of reconsider it and remember that actually it is a it is a privilege to be in medical school and specifically like to learn in that way and that someone has been so kind to donate their body to science and that. I, that's a tool I would be really silly not to harness but that being said again it goes back to the being kind to yourself thing it I can be honest and like hold my hands up and say it it took a while yeah. to reach this point and like yeah. if you are struggling with that as well like to any listeners like again mm. take your time with it like it's it's not going to be an overnight fix it might be a 12 week fix I reckon mine was about that and so what that's 12 lots of an hour and a half like Mm. it's quite it took took a while but yeah it that has that has been interesting and as well um from my first loss I know like uh, my mum and my uncle went to identify our loved one's body so I think I really felt like quite a lot of like sadness for my family in like reflected sadness from what they must have felt when they had to identify Mm. the body and all this kind of stuff so it is very traumatic but I would just say it's something to reframe like perspective on for sure and also that there is almost always someone that you can talk to about it within the med school um so I know like Kiel for example have a really good pastoral support system for that kind of thing um and even the anatomists themselves are like so willing to work through it with you and and that yeah there's always people you can talk to which I think is really important to remember definitely and I think even if you're like it won't be just you in the room who's feeling it even if no one's kind of saying it there's definitely other people there who are still like feeling similar things and I think for me it was the fact that sort of everyone's walking in on the first anatomy and they're like oh my gosh this is my first dead body and then there's me just kind of like um yeah not my first dead body because I'd seen my dad's body after he died and I think it's just weird to then see dead bodies in such a different context because the pro sections in the anatomy lab are very different to kind of a fresh if you will um dead body um because often these are very old people who've been preserved for like in different parts for a number of years um and dissected to expose different um areas of anatomy so it's a really different experience um to that as well so it's it's so like you said it's a real privilege but it's also yeah really different to any other degree and any other sort of like life experience as well and I guess so moving on from sort of anatomy and lectures then placement is the other key part of medical school 
And this is something that I've just kind of started doing full-time placement, um, but obviously had a few placements through the preclinical years as well. And obviously this is where you actually meet patients, you get to do the talking, you get to sort of wear the scrubs, be the like sort of official medical student that you apply to be. And I guess that comes with its own challenges as well. Um, I think one of the things for me is obviously like seeing patients who have diseases that your loved ones have. So I went to see a patient with MS the other day and went by myself to go and take a history from him. And the um, junior doctor's kind of like, oh, you know, like he's a bit difficult to talk to, like a bit difficult to understand because he's got MS. I was like, oh no, don't worry. Like my mum had MS. I'm used to like hearing it. And she was like, oh, your mum had MS. And I was like, yeah. She's like, you'll be all right. And I said, yeah, yeah, I'll be fine. Because I was like, I've got to back myself, you know, I want to be able to do this because I really want to be able to talk to patients and actually use that experience mm, of mm. Um, talking with my mum when she had MS and stuff. Um, and it was actually fine. Like, I was felt really fine. I've thought, oh, I can definitely see a lot of similarities between him and my mum in terms of their disease. But actually, this guy is very different to my mum. And, you know, he's got this different, this different, this different. And actually being able to pick out Mm. why they're not the same is kind of really important to differentiate themselves between your personal loss and what's in front of you and I was so proud of myself at the end of the day I was like yes I've managed to do this where I've really worried about you know seeing patients and not being able mm. to kind of really separate the two but actually even though I could recognize features of my mum's disease in him there was not bits of my mum they were just she had this and he's got this but he's not her so I don't know, that was a, definitely a positive situation, but I definitely had more negative ones, I guess. No, that that's really positive to hear, though, because I do think as well, like, I like a per, like I suppose a personal fear of mine when it comes to, like, at the moment, I'm t- technically preclinical, but we've got, we've got, we've got a few placements and stuff. And I think the, the sort of scary thing is like, like, do you apply your loved one's pathology to every patient that you treat with that condition just out yeah. of pure fear or it's the norm for you I think I think that that's mm. a little bit of a concern of mine so it is really encouraging to hear that you sort of managed to overcome that for sure yeah and I think it's like it's like I had that experience and then today we went to the cardiac ward and we saw patients and I think one thing for me that I find difficult is kind of seeing people that have survived the things that my um, parents had because I'm like but you are alive and and they're not and I think it's it's hard to see people who their treatment has worked and it's really great and I'm literally over the moon because I know how Mm. painful it is for that not to be the case but in the same vein I'm like you know what if we'd done this or you know he'd got we'd called 999 earlier or you know we'd been able to give them this like what would would they have been able to get some of these treatments or would they have been in in this situation of this patient as opposed to the one that I'm in and I think that's something that doesn't really go away as such but definitely gets less but also sometimes you're just presented with a patient oh my gosh like you know this is such a different situation and I'm really pleased for you but in your heart you're kind of like Mm. you know this is really like what could have been yeah but not quite and I think that's the thing is every patient is different and holding on to that difference I think can be really valuable for you in kind of protecting yourself yeah for sure I think as well I think something to be really conscious of again again it comes back to sort of defeating that very like medic mindset of sort of perfectionist and like I I I do believe medics maybe I'm stereotyping here are quite harsh on themselves 
not exclusively medics, but typically a medic will be <laughs> harsh like on themselves yeah. and like the way they think. And I think something I've been guilty of, which and it, and it's completely irrational, but is like, <laughs> okay, well, with my, the knowledge I have now, I should have spotted that symptom sooner. Or like, but mm. particularly with the cancer, obviously like I couldn't yeah. stop a van mm. when it's driving off the road. Like obviously as a 15 year old when you're watching a family member get ill like mm. you start noticing the signs but it's like actually if I had the knowledge that I have now back then yeah could things look more different would I still have my loved one mm-hmm. it, it's, it's yeah. a bit of a dangerous mindset to be in but definitely I think something to acknowledge that it's yeah it's very normal it's sort of acknowledging but not spiraling is the difficulty and that's sometimes you're not going to get that bit right but I think I even said to the paramedics when my dad died I said oh I wish I was in med school because I would have known what to do and I think actually to be honest being first year like I probably wouldn't have done much differently I think maybe only sort of like second third year would I have actually sort of had any kind of useful clinical knowledge but even just that thought of like, what if is can be really hard, especially when you're learning about new and innovative ways to treat diseases. You know, you're always thinking, oh, like this would have been something that maybe my mum would have been eligible for or something like that. But I think, like you say, it's not something you can change and actually trying to make peace of that, even if you probably won't be able to fully do so, but actually get to a point where it's not something that you're, constantly on your mind every day because that's not an enjoyable state of mind to be in constantly thinking about that and it's not productive for you either but sometimes it's kind of cathartic to just be like yeah I'm gonna feel all of these things now because actually I want to save them (laughs) I want to do that now (laughs) as opposed to when I'm on the ward yeah I think also just another thing of being around people like small talk I'm terrified someone's gonna be like oh how are your family like I don't I don't want to know like that that's not the place I want to be like dishing my my trauma you know definitely and I think as well it's really hard if you see a patient presenting with the condition that you've had a loved one die from and it's such a toss-up of for example like when you're taking your patient history of someone that's got ms if like if for some reason it slips out oh well my mum had ms too all of a sudden then they say oh that you know they want to know about the progression of the illness and all this kind of stuff and then all of a sudden Mm. you have to tell them that they've died from the condition that you're suffering from and and it is oh it's just it's just a little can of worms isn't it Yeah, definitely. And I think it's also sort of, if you know your placement partners well enough, you can always tell them and then they can kind of be there to look out for you if you get into a bit of a sticky spot, but also um, like making sure not to bottle up. But also I think sometimes it's okay to sort of be like, okay, I'm going to be strong and get through this. And sort of like I was talking about earlier with the cardiac patient where actually that was a bit triggering to kind of see someone who's, you know, managed to come out the other side and you know, is going home in a few days, whereas mm. my dad didn't come out the other side. And actually, even yeah. those emotions, I'm not going to sort of express them when I'm there or when I'm at the hospital or whatever. But actually, when I come home, not just sort of forgetting about thinking about them, actually saving a bit of time just to think about it, because that way you're not letting lots of different things build up. Because I think sometimes it can be all the little things where you've seen lots of patients who 
you know, have those couple of things which just make you feel a bit, oh, you know, this is really sort of poking me where it hurts. Actually, that can build up into a bigger hurt that you don't want to come out all at once. Definitely. And you don't want and like you don't want that to sort of manifest itself as some sort of burnout or any kind of thing when Mm. you're, you're in a career where that like that is quite difficult to avoid yeah and so you don't want like bereavement to be an additional source of like that worry but I I do think sort of coming off the back of what you're saying that like surrounding yourself with people and like getting on with your placement partners makes such a difference because then you have the space to maintain the professionalism needed from like a patient facing point of view so that you're able to talk about MS with someone or break bad mm-hmm. news but actually that you're able to um that you're able to then come back and talk to your placement partners be like well actually found this really difficult because yeah, definitely. it's been a bit of a trigger for me I I've personally found my placement partner this first uh semester has been absolutely amazing in that respect so that's been really 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 helpful Mm, definitely and I think as well it's like if it does happen you know it's one of those things like I think you don't need to beat yourself up about it because that only makes things worse and I think it's all well and good kind of this is how you can prevent it or kind of guard yourself a little bit but if it does happen it's one of those things and people are going to be understanding I think sometimes I'm really hard on myself but then I think what if my friend was doing that like I would not speak to my friend the way that I do sometimes do you know what I mean like in terms of if my friend was getting really upset about something because it was really triggering their grief because of a family member I'm not going to be there like well you should have saved up your worries and thought about them at (laughs) home and you know how dare you get really upset on the wall like no you're of course you're not going to do that you're going to go and comfort them go and talk to them Mm -hmm. you know go and give them some chocolate like tell them to go home and rest up like you're not going to be hard on them and I think sometimes we can take that attitude also and show it to ourselves because Mm. we deserve to have you know be shown that kindness as well and I think if it's happening more regularly then you can look to maybe talking to people from uni counselling things like that having a space where you can talk about it outside of placement and actually hopefully then placement doesn't become such a trigger focus definitely no that that is really good advice I think I think yeah just again it goes back to the whole being sensitive to yourself and learning you, you like understanding your own triggers what makes it worse what what makes it better it it makes me laugh because like you can I don't know if you've come across you probably have like you're two years above me but like the Socrates model for pain and it's like oh yeah like your E is like you're exacerbating and relieving factors and like actually like the same thing applies to the pain that comes from bereavement like like there will be things that will make it worse there'll be things you'll come across that will make it worse but equally learn what those relieving factors are yeah and implement them and surround yourself with them because hopefully some of Mm. the relieving factors are your friends or your placement partner or family or whatever it is there are so many like models that you can apply to it but sort of moving on a little bit for me the lectures themselves there weren't many so far that have been massive emotional triggers but for me actually Mm. it's basic life support that I find the most challenging yeah um and I was sat in my little group of like six people so that everyone had like a really good understanding of like how to do CPR and this lady was she was she was brilliant she was so good at her job but she was like 
reeling off the statistics of how ineffective CPR usually is and how something honestly this fact is probably wrong it's a bit too, a bit too late for my brain to be working but um, <laughs> it was something like only 16% of like chest compressions mm. will result in like a person coming back to life and still being basically not having like brain damage or anything like that so mm. the statistics for it are like pretty harrowing and yeah. in my own personal experience I know that my loved one who died in the sort of road traffic accident she had 30 minutes of chest compression from paramedics and obviously it didn't work didn't go to plan the teacher for our basic life support like just said that stat and it literally like took the wind out of me a little bit because to yeah. sort of hear your experience like you were saying earlier like just sort of reflected in a statistic and like to sort of be an example of okay yeah no actually CPR doesn't often work Mm. and to know that like potentially in your career you will do unsuccessful chest compressions yeah it really I don't know maybe that is just coming from a bereavement point of view but it does sort of somewhat take the wind out your sails in a way that I didn't expect it to yeah it's just sensitivity isn't it Mm. so I did my i every year we have to do um CPR training basic life support and we did ours sort of a couple of weeks ago and one of the girls in my group said oh you know how likely is it that we're going to have to use this on the ward in third year and and the straight away the person goes very likely and it was just she was like oh not really prepared for that and I think I've done it for two years now so we did it in second year in third year and in second year I found it quite difficult just sort of learning how you know, because in my head, I was comparing how I did CPR on my dad to how I was doing CPR in the training. And that is obviously not a, a very healthy, very useful experience. But obviously your mind does because you're like, this is how I'm being taught how to do it properly. Whereas I was kind of thinking, oh, well, the, you know, the 111, the 999 person on the phone didn't tell me the state. I ended up doing this. And I think, oh, were my compressions deep enough? All that kind of thing, which is so odd to have that going through your head when everyone else is sort of going okay let's get my staying alive going and you're sort of there like (laughs) should I have done it a bit deeper and would my dad be here because of it and I think CPR is really hard because it is actually just so traumatic to actually do Mm. in terms of like you know a lot of the time you break people's ribs you know and it is a lot to do and like it's really intense and I think going into those trainings as someone who's done it before and been unsuccessful is then really hard to sort of hear people talking about it and then you're just there like yeah this is how it's happened for me and it's not something I shared when I was there because really didn't feel comfortable but mm. actually it's a lot to relearn that process of actually this is how to do it on the background of having yeah. done it as a 17 year old but positively I did have it this year and I found it much more useful and I found it much more confidence boosting that I could effectively do this on somebody else coming from a point of at least I can go forward now with the tools to be able to do it effectively should I be presented with the need to do it again hopefully touch wood not but also actually it's quite empowering to now know how to do it properly which I think just comes from another year of time and sort of not being so acutely close to the time that my dad died. And I think it's been 
like really affirming to be like, okay, you can do this as well now. This is a really big thing that you can actually do. But I think there's still time to go. And I think because CPR is such a big thing, it is really traumatic. It's not going to be something that you can just sort of brush past or leave to one side in the same way that maybe lectures you can a little bit. Yeah, and because it has such it has such a relevant application, um, yeah, and it's not the kind of thing that you can you can sugarcoat because anyone that does CPR again coming back to this paper that I referenced at the start of the podcast maybe it was from that paper I think it potentially could have been from something else I was reading but it said something like twelve percent of all emergency department doctors would experience quite significant post-traumatic stress disorder and I think there's definitely something to be said because like human bodies aren't meant to interact with each other the way they do in like when you're doing chest compressions I think that is something that again you just got to maintain that sensitivity towards yourself like if you ever find yourself in a position where you're doing that like it's gonna take its toll there is no doubt about that and I think unfortunately for you Katie like it's awful that you had to do it before med school yeah and I don't think that should happen to any child but no equally like you say with more time you learn how to do it better and granted like success isn't guaranteed but no no. it is such a tricky aspect of medicine and even the physicality of it itself like it's mentally exhausting and I didn't realize until this basic life support session how physically exhausting it was like our (laughs) trainer was really good at being like keep going and it was like it was just getting uncomfortable like I'd been doing it for sort of like three minutes or so and already I was Mm. like really really Mm. worn out and not only that but it's acting as an emotional trigger itself it's yeah (laughs) there's so much going on when you're doing it I think from personal experience the adrenaline means that you do not get tired but then once you stop Mm. you are just completely knackered But in the same vein, you're still full of adrenaline yeah. because you don't know what's going on. Yeah. And I guess maybe then, obviously, we've talked for quite a while, but let's kind of round off with a few sort of quick tips that we've kind of picked up along the way. I think we've said a couple as we've gone on, but I guess make sure you get your pat on board. My poor pat, so personal academic tutor, everyone probably has something similar. <laughs> um, I basically said so in first year, I said, do you know anything about me? She said no. And I said, oh, well, um, and they basically just told her a very shortened version of what we've gone through um, in this podcast episode. And she goes, oh, okay. I was like, yeah, sorry. Um, and I kind of realised speaking to my friends, other people did not do that to their tutor. They just sort of said, oh, yes, please sign my form. Um, but to be fair, she's been really lovely and really helpful when I've needed things. So actually getting your tutor on board just so they are aware can be really good, um, particularly if you're just starting med school. Yeah, definitely. I think as well, for me at least, like there was something quite like freeing in literally just saying the words like anath- like to my um, academic tutor. I literally said to her, I, like even just saying, I find anatomy to be a trigger because yeah. X, Y, Z. That in itself was kind of validating because I think I remember walking into anatomy the first time and getting really emotional and like actually crying and being so mortified that on my fourth day of med school yeah. like I had tears rolling down my cheeks like in front of these people that I'd only known for four days and I think it was just incredibly valid validating to say to someone look like this is my reason why I find it so difficult but yeah I think there are support networks out there and my advice would be is like 
don't be too proud to like get help because again it's that whole thing of like medics being like rubbish patients and like it, it is tricky to stand and be like okay actually do you know what? I actually do need a bit of support in this um and also make it a priority like if you are struggling yes you are busy at med school but you'll be more busy if you can't handle the workload as a result of the like yeah emotions you're feeling and all that kind of stuff so if it is an issue like my advice would be like make it a priority to talk yeah. to someone about it and try and work your way through it definitely and I guess sort of tracking back to what I said earlier is just reframe your perception of anatomy um if it's something you struggle with and try and see it for the privilege that it is and again if it's too much of a trigger to do that there are people that you can work through and even talk to the anatomists themselves about it because obviously their job if they're in a a med school which does cadaveric dissection their job is to spend each day with a cadaver Mm. and understanding it and that's going to also take its toll so there's definitely people to talk to. I think as well, just like the general things like uh, sleeping and eating well and like <laughs> journaling or whatever, quiet time, just sort of reflective time. And like also counselling, like I've had counselling through uni and it was really helpful. I had it online and it was really good to just reflect and like learn, you know, actually dissect a few things and go through stuff and actually talk about it with someone who's actually trained to listen to you. And I think the uni will offer that. And particularly if you've been through bereavement, like you often qualify for that kind of thing. So yeah, don't be afraid to reach out and have counselling because it's not going to do any harm. And it will probably be a really good space to chat through stuff, which maybe you don't feel like other people will understand or you want to share and actually a confidential person can be really good so I'm always a big proponent of that but also look after yourself sleep and food make things a lot better definitely I think also remember obviously everyone's story is like very different particularly if you've come into med school off the back of a loss and that actually like you were saying Katie the the staff you're surrounded with won't have had a briefing on you and what triggers you and actually um for a member of staff they'd rather that you say to them this is a trigger because yeah if I need to leave is that okay yeah they'd rather you do that than like burst into floods of tears yeah. or like run out of the dissection room and no one knows why like they're not gonna know your backstory unless you tell them and although it takes a lot of courage I definitely think it's worth saying and mentioning because it will it will affect everything yeah. mean, like there's no sugarcoating that I think that's the thing as well is it shows that actually like the people we love they do affect every bit of our lives and that isn't just when they're living but when they're dead like that does impact all of you and even though in different intensities to different bits I think sometimes it's like oh well at least I'm remembering them but in a really inconvenient way could we just have some nice memories (laughs) you know but the brain doesn't work like that sadly um but yeah I think actually surround yourself with people who love you and also do things that are not medicine related have another hobby that isn't to do with medicine because you'll get so much perspective from people who aren't in medicine as well just a space where not everyone's talking about medicine all the time can be really good particularly when you get on placement the key takeaway is like you are so much more than a medic and that like losing sight of the hobbies and stuff that ultimately like shaped the person that made you choose to become a medic like that's something to honor and something to make sure you don't Mm. forget along the way anything you've got to add Katie yeah I guess I think the thing is that like we're moving more and more to the perception that actually doctors aren't infallible you know Mm. we make mistakes we're not perfect humans we're not invincible and I think that's becoming a lot more accepted but also just like 
you can take that on for yourself. You know, you don't have to be invincible. You don't have to be perfect all the time. And actually give yourself grace to have the evening off or reflect on how that's made you feel or take time for yourself. Studying can wait and there will always be time to do that. But yeah, reach out for help if you need it. Um, But medicine can be really fun, even if you have suffered a loss. I'm really enjoying it. I don't regret doing it. I've absolutely loved it. And it's been really exciting to put into practice all the clinical medicine I'm learning and see patients. And even though I've gone through all this loss and had all these difficult times, like it's still been really fun and enjoyable. And I think just if you are thinking about studying medicine or you're in early years or whatever, it's not unenjoyable. You know, you're not going to have like a completely horrible time because actually like you will find the bits that you really enjoy and the people that you really enjoy spending time with. It's not all doom and gloom. Yeah, definitely. And I think as well, it's a cliche. And like, if you have experienced a loss, like people will say it and sometimes it can feel a bit invalidating, but equally like experiencing a loss, particularly at a young age, will affect the way you interact with everyone for the rest of your life. And I think in medicine that has positive outcomes because it means you're going to approach breaking bad news differently. You're going to approach dealing with a chronic condition Mm. differently. You're going to approach a very acute trauma situation very differently. And actually, again, referencing the paper that I referenced at the start, they say a lot about how actually personal bereavement and this is a quote may thus be a positive learning experience creating greater ability to overcome stereotypical approaches to patients needs those with experience of loss may be more realistic about what dying patients might experience and have stronger belief in patients ability to prepare for and accept death than their fellow students so obviously that's not invalidating a medical student that hasn't experienced a loss but I do think you're like you're using your personal experience to inform your professional life. And I think that that is a really valuable tool. Okay, we're going to end there. Um, but just thank you so much for listening. And hopefully it's given you some food for thought if you're a medical student who's experienced bereavement. And obviously we haven't been able to cover all different experiences. Obviously we're both women, both near the start of our medical careers um, and we both experienced losses young. So there's lots of different people who have different experiences, but hopefully there's been useful things in what we've shared So yeah, thank you so much for listening and good luck in your medical careers if you're a medical student listening. Thanks for listening, guys. Thank you for listening to this episode of Persevering Grief is Taught by Young People. So this episode was put together by Katie and Izzy. We're a part of a group of 16 to 20 year olds keen to use our own experiences to make bereavement better for other young people out there. This is a project part of Let's Talk About Loss and is funded by the Co-op Foundation. Um, Our project lead is Jessica Easton and if you want to know more about how we're helping talk through the taboo, go to www.letstalkaboutloss.org.